0: Welcome to another episode of Head in Training. I'm Trisha. I'm Amy. And we are super excited for this episode. First off, we've got some updates about our lives, as usual. We'll also talk about activist personalities and how individuals choose their own best ways for making change. And we'll chat with Julie Blaha, an activist and parliamentarian who's going to clear up some stuff about caucusing. Fill us in on some of the juiciest tidbits from the Minnesota legislature and talk about her experience as a woman in the political sphere. Finally, we've got an interactive game for our listeners. You don't want to miss that. Oh, Amy told me I could pick the song. (laughs) I'm not very happy with myself (laughs) for telling you that you could. (laughs) You're welcome. Oh, man. Okay, so Amy, you have got some major life updates to share with us. Uh, Let's start with work.
1: I have a job. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you have a a new job job before. (laughs) Uh yeah, I have a new job. I have my big girl job. I have my HBIT job because it's only been two months. I can't. It cannot be an HBIC job yet.
0: I think it's like HBIT and a half.
1: Yeah. No, for sure. It's um. So the I feel like there's been some podcasts we did where I was really angsty and I was like, I just want to get my dream job. I remember talking to Marsha in particular when Uh we spoke to her. I was like, I'm just so frustrated. Well, I mean, a year after grad school, now I have my job. So Uh I feel like. In some ways, I was really hard on myself, and in other ways, maybe being hard on myself is why I got
0: the job. Yeah, I (laughs) mean, I think that we all struggle to find a balance between, like, setting goals for ourselves that we can achieve Mm -hmm. and, like, judging ourselves too hard and not being nice to ourselves and just being like, hey, you're doing the best you can right now. Yeah. You're going to get there someday. Mm -hmm. And I think we, you know, a lot of us are impatient when it comes to our career and, like, our life path.
1: Yes. Yes. So. Uh, and and also, my where I'm at right now. So, again, you know, we always talk about the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So, where I'm at right now is I refuse to decorate my office until I have, like, two solid, like, no, three. Every time I move it up, I'm like, yeah. after three solid months' worth of paychecks, then I'll consider <laughs> decorating my house or my uh, yeah, office. Your house. Yeah. It took, like, a lot of time to decorate my house. But now it's my office. Yeah. Well, just in case, just in case they're like,
0: what did we do? I mean, first of all, that's not going to happen. No. Second Mm -hmm. of all, um, I have gotten extremely comfortable in my office.
1: (laughs) What's going on in there? I
0: painted it. I have plants. I have beautiful artwork. I've rearranged multiple times. And... uh, I went. We 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 both went to psychics this weekend separately. But my psychic. Oh, we're told already me, getting into that. Well, I just am, <laughs> like my psychic told me this weekend that I am too comfortable in my office. What? So uh, that's something to think about. Anyways,
1: and my psychic told me I was a nun in my previous life.
0: Oh my god.
1: <laughs> Which, makes kind of a lot of sense in a lot of ways. <laughs> a lot of
0: ways, and in some ways not. Some ways not. Uh, but we'll get to that psychic stuff later maybe hopefully maybe. yeah um okay and I know you've been crushing it on the dating scene by crushing it mean failing miserably <laughs> I know I think
1: a girl, too hard on yourself. a girl cannot have a doll it really can't like it's either so now it's like I have my career oh and I needed this other thing too right away but that's okay my psychic told me, he goes, Amy, here's what your spirit guides are telling us. Tell us. Do you really want to be in one? Because in the pre- previous life, you were a nun. <laughs> and being a nun, that means you took a vow of helping others and put relationships was not a thing. So you got to break that, this life cycle. So you got to decide, number one, if it's what you want. Which also makes a lot of sense, because I always say to everybody, the first three months of dating is the worst for me. I hate it. For most people, it's the exact opposite. I hate it. There's nothing worse. I hate it so much. I like become this weirdo, awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Can we just get to six months? I'll be normal again.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. All right. Way too much information, right? So, I mean, no, I would love to hear more uh tell us about like some of the juicy details that have been going on in your love life though
1: um so we're not gonna do that but <laughs> so let's actually inset- so recently I broke up okay it was it was a crappy breakup so but I only let myself grieve for 48 hours 48 hours I figure it out and then I'm done
0: Is that how you always go or just this time? Well, when you only have
1: relationships up to three months, it's a lot (laughs) easier to do that. Oh,
0: so you never even get to that six-month point where you feel like you can relax. Then I
1: would give myself a week to grieve. Okay. But when it's not even three months, it's like two days, buddy, and then I'm done. All right. So then that explains actually the psychic. So I... That within the two days, our friend Kenza recommended the psychic, and I'm like, I got my tax money. Yes. So I'm going to get my life figured out. Bring on out. the
0: psychic. <laughs> and,
1: and then, literally, he was like, um, I'm a psychic, and I'm in Florida, and I'm really busy because I'm on a psychic convention. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.
0: Is it Gary Spivey? No. Oh, like, I'm, like, psychic this true, Florida. This
1: is the true story. I
0: would die if it turned out you had gone to Gary Spivey.
1: This is a true story. Okay. So then he's, like, I'm a psychic at a psychic convention. I'm too busy. After I already paid because I was, like, desperate. I was, like, okay, I need to, like, pay online right away because I need to get this figured out. So he – um gracefully was like you know what, it's not gonna work out this weekend so let's plan ahead and I thought plan ahead was like the next weekend no three weeks later <laughs> which is good because then you got a better headspace right and and then you weren't like, he called me on though. the phone and here's the thing like if you have ever I've never had this experience before so yes I'm sure majority of people out there would be like this entire thing sounds bullshit which you know what <laughs> It doesn't matter because if you got peace of mind after it, then that's all matters, right? Yes. So then um so then he called me on the phone. So he didn't even have access to see my emotions or my face or, or anything.
0: Did he like text you first to be like, Hey, I'm gonna call? Yes. Or did he just send you wavelengths? No, no, Brain there was texting. Okay. There was texting involved. Okay. okay. Yeah.
1: And yeah, it was pretty it was pretty amazing. So Let's go back to my grieving period. Yeah, I want to know about this. Because I think this is really relatable to the Republican establishment right now. We're such nerds. We're like, what happens? (laughs) Everything (laughs) is
0: a parallel universe. (laughs) To politics. To politics. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, ready? Yes.
1: All right, I'm going to go through with you what I did in 48 Hours with the Seven Stages of Grief. What I think is probably happening with the Republican establishment
0: right now. Okay. So, these are, this is one list, two things.
1: Yeah, this is going to get really confusing. So, if you're confused, stop me. Or I might just like go over, I'm not going to even explain what happened to me. And I'll just
0: focus it on the Republicans. The seven stages of grief for okay. Amy and the Republicans.
1: Okay. So, the first one's confusion.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So, when I am confused, um, instead of expressing my emotions directly, I use emojis, right? Always. So the confusing emoji guy <laughs> was basically, like, what's happening? What's going on? I don't know what's happening. So I think that when it comes to Republicans, their confusion stage was Jeb Bush's donors. Mm-hmm. You know, just like a confusion of, like, let's pile all our money into Jeb. And why didn't his logo work? Right. Jab. Explanation point. <laughs> You've chose the wrong emoji, Jab. Yeah. Like we could have told. We did talk about that. It, it should have been this
0: guy. <laughs> I wish that our listeners could see like we're doing the hand gestures for the emojis.
1: The shoulders up. The shoulders shruggy guy. That should have been Jab. Or the unicorn. <laughs> no. No. He's not that special. No. He's like I'm a unicorn bringing. Our country together. No. He's counter majestic. <laughs> okay. Denial. So mm-hmm. everybody, I feel like if they go through a breakup, they're just a little bit of Facebook stalking, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I this is a reason I also don't friend or try not to friend anybody I date within the first three months because mm-hmm. I know that that's going to happen, right? And I can't handle it. So yeah. And then you find out that they...
0: Were being shady the whole time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that that you were dating a person who posts a relationship status. I feel like that, for me, was, like, the most shocking thing of all. I was like, you're that guy? Yeah. Why are you that guy?
0: Yeah, what is up with those I mean, if you're married, I get it. If you're, like... This is our wedding day, okay. (laughs) But not like major life event, I have a girlfriend.
1: (laughs) I'm single. (laughs) So I think denial for the establishment was Mitt Romney, right? Like Mitt Romney was gonna come and save the day. Which is the opposite of what he the establishment should have ever done. Like he is what the voters were are running away from.
0: Well, I think there's a couple moments of denial in that. In, yeah, say like, more. Like, that
1: I, was mine.
0: You know, I think just this whole, like, the six months leading up to two weeks ago where every everyone was just like, Donald Trump is a joke that's never going to get anywhere. Yeah. Like, the whole establishment just being like, this is going to go away on its own. And now it's like, clearly that's not going to happen. And so... The Republican establishment is now in this phase of, like, we got to get our shit together. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah. But I think if they were paying a little attention a little bit more, I mean, Donald has been out there with the birth or acclaim for a long Ugh. time. They they created a little, like, I don't know. They created their own monster. Kind of. Rash Limbaugh. Absolutely. Fox News. I mean, and say what you will. I mean, maybe that's um, a place. Fine, that's a place you get. But they, with those that form, they really got some anger <laughs> rolled up. And then they're like, "Wait a minute, where are all these angry voters coming they from? They face. and not listening. They're really. I don't even know. I didn't know I don't think they even knew what their base really was. Right. I think it changes for Republicans, it changes so much. Like last time it was maybe the evangelicals and and then before that it was like I don't know, Reagan Bush era base yeah. like white rich men. Another base has changed. So Yeah. All right. Okay, bargaining. That's when I went to the psychic. Okay. I was bargaining with the universe, right? Yes. And then I thought, like, for them, it's like, okay, if if we can just win Florida and Ohio. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: gonna, we, ha- we can take we away the might, delegates. <laughs> we might
1: be able to have this. Math will be in our favor. <laughs> math. Kind of. Math will happen. A contested convention will happen. But we're not going to talk about it a lot. Okay, guilt. I guess, for me, like, how I go through the guilt phase is I watch some – I watch lady movies. Every time I do this – like, I've gone to Gone Girl, I've gone to um, Amy Poehler's movie, and <laughs> it took me to a really bad girl movie about how to be single or something. And I look at her and I said, she better goddamn be single at the end of this. <laughs> I bet she wasn't. No, she was. Oh, She was with a wink in her eyes. So oh. I feel like half the crowd's like, oh, that means her next journey is being in a relationship. But I feel like there's some, like, oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so then I think we mentioned this. I do think that guilt of, like, oh, Donald Trump, oh, my God, we created this. Yes.
0: Although I think they're still in denial about actually being guilty for that to some extent. Some of them are not. Well, that's just, a, that's just a theory. That doesn't mean
1: that that has actually happened. There's a combination of things, you know. Hello?
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ian's writing us notes. Agree with Trisha, they're still in <laughs> denial. <laughs> the one time I look at the screen, I'm like there's a note up there. God. <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't mean to get distracted.
1: All right. All right, let's move on. Anger. I was listening to a lot of loud music or Fleetwood Mac. Okay, which I did.
0: Okay, to Silver me, Springs, <laughs> to me Fleetwood Mac and anger feelings don't necessarily like Silver Springs? That's so sad. I know, but I'm in the
1: 48 Hours of Grief.
0: I know, which is, but you're in the anger zone, girl. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. Okay. What's the anger for? Okay. So, I
1: mean, 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 the penis jokes came out.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. The Trolls (laughs) with the Penis Costumes
1: is the best. Do you want to explain that? You can't just say that without explaining. He was like, "It's the best."
0: It, I mean, it's so genius. <laughs> There's these like anti-Trumpers who are who have bought like every <clears throat> giant penis costume on the internet. Yeah. And are going to his rallies dressed as penises with Donald Trump masks on. But the
1: Rubio penis jokes and the Donald Trump penis jokes started the, <laughs> the yes. penis costumes. Yes. And this is the anger. This is what happens when. Dudes run for president. (laughs) All right, depression. So (laughs) I'm just gonna leave that there. (laughs) All right, you and bros run for president. (laughs) I have been going through a lot of cookie butter. (laughs) My depression phase. Oh,
0: no one can blame me for that.
1: No. So depression. I actually have this blank. What do you think that the republic? I think just the overall sadness of what's going on. There's some soul searching. Yeah, I mean... On the Republican side, too. I
0: think there's a lot of hopelessness. But um, well, that's I, a
1: voters, we're talking about the establishment.
0: Right, I think they're not going to be depressed till this is over, mm. and uh, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton is in the White House.
1: Mm. No, I think... After- not
0: that that's an endorsement on my part on any in any way, I yeah. just think one of those is going to be the result, and the Republican establishment is going to be depressed then.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think it's gonna happen right after the convention, and I think they're gonna be like, "Who do we vote for now?" Yeah. Do we start a third party? Remember, I, I predicted. I, yes. Let's just let's just remind everybody. I predicted that the millennials—maybe it's a little bit before millennials—we're gonna pick a third-party candidate for president.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, or Trump voters. Here's the thing: <laughs> if Donald Trump gets the nomination. There's a huge amount of Republican voters who will not turn out, and that means that the Republican establishment also loses a ton of local and state races because those voters won't be going. Yeah. So, I mean, in some ways, like, as much as I don't particularly care for the third party situation because it would really be, like, it would be more of an establishment Republican than Donald Trump in that case, like... It's a really smart move for them. Yeah. Because at least they wouldn't lose all of those seats. Yeah. So.
1: it's. I think it's, is it too late, Ian? Do you know if it's too late to have a third party candidate no. now?
3: Uh, they wouldn't be on a lot of ballots at okay. this point.
1: Okay. You can always write mm-hmm. in anyone. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if if we get the Twitter, if we get Twitter out and Paul Ryan, everybody tweets Paul Ryan. Oh, God.
2: <laughs> Who, by the way, would be worse than any of these people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But he he could pull the Trump and he could pull, that's the only person I can think that could pull that party together right now. Maybe. I don't know. Ugh, sickening. Okay. Okay. Last one, acceptance. Well, I mean, you move on. Yeah. Yeah. After the psychic tells you, here's what you're doing wrong, This is, (laughs) then you're ready to go on another dating site.
0: (laughs) And you did, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Because – and then so you had kind of an epiphany, right, when you went to the psychic and you decided, yes, you do want to be in a relationship or you just want to date around? Or I you... just
1: I just uh, don't have anxiety about it. It's gone. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. For the week. Well, hey, you
0: know, <laughs> one day at a time, girlfriend.
1: And here's what I think – here's what I think, like, the establishment. And I feel like this may be confusing because we're going back and forth of, like – experiences here Uh but I think there's going to be some acceptance if Trump gets picked as a nominee because for them to not pick him is going to be a disaster right for the future Republican Party yes and so I think they're like well maybe we get to have a voice in
0: the vice president I think that's going to be like maybe or maybe um and this is my liberal personal opinion maybe they'll realize they've been a bunch of assholes for the last 20 years and their shit hasn't worked and created this monster, and they need to, like, stop being assholes.
1: I mean, there's going to... I'm not going to be that strong about it, but I think that there's going to... The future voter is a lot different than they've always been used to, and I think the Democrats have to be aware of that, too.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, that the future voter is going to be different, and there's different interests, and then a lot of that is good. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, a lot of his supporters... I mean, there's a huge racist element, which is not – that's horrible. Right. But they're, they're, a lot of them are very low income, and they're saying government sucks, even if they may be on government benefits or whatever. Right. Government's too much in our lives, and government sucks, and I don't have a job, and I want a job. And then, yeah, Democrats have to pay attention too. About
0: yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, I think there's a lot of issues within the Democratic establishment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right.
1: So that's it. That's my.
0: Well, that's, that's fascinating. And I think uh, I think we should put that on the blog. Just, you know, maybe put it in table form.
1: Oh, yeah. So that. <clears throat> yeah. Let's you know. not because I don't want it. To... <laughs> OK, well, we'll see. Actually, okay. let's do it for the Republicans.
0: Yeah, we'll yeah. just do it for the Republicans and not for your personal. Life.
1: Yeah, let's not do that.
0: OK, it's HBIT podcast dot com, guys. <laughs>
1: All right, so should we talk about our aha moment, or at least my aha moment, and then I want to talk about your protest? Yes. Okay, so my aha moment, um, we've been, like, trying to figure out our own spaces in this podcast. That seems such, like, a
0: liberal thing to say. But in this podcast and also in in our community, Yeah, personal life. Yeah.
1: And I've had this moment where I was like, you know, this is a really activist election, And I don't think that I'm very comfortable. All of a sudden, I was like, did I wake up one day being conservative? Because why am I not feeling like this activism, Mm -hmm. right? Well, that's not so true. (laughs) Uh, What is true is that I'm more of a pragmatist. Why can I never, whenever I think about it? A pragmatist? Pragmatist, yes. (laughs) I was like, whenever I think about that word, who defines me? I cannot say it all It's a funny word. It's a (laughs) funny word. So I'm more of like a liberal pragmatist, I uh-huh. would say. And more comfortable in this, like, governing or more comfortable in this policy, which makes sense because now I work for a government, but it's more like I'm on the ground. I'm, that is the space I'm in. Right. And then there's also activism. And right. both, I think, we need to get to the point and say both are not wrong and both are don't. So right now this campaign cycle is very activist-heavy, uh-huh. right? Right. And so then when you when as I, sometimes I feel like when I'm questioning things it's like oh you must be voting for the opposite person and it's like no I'm really I just like to govern and I like to to do policy work and I want right. to know Right you're
0: more about like being sort of behind the scenes and yeah. making systems yeah. or changing systems yeah. versus being out on the street
1: And yeah yeah and I I will never it, it would be rare for me to be at a protest. Mm-hmm. Does that make me any less liberal? Does that... I I don't think so.
0: Right. You know what I mean? And Or and, is it less valuable?
1: Right. And so then um, when you see... Like Obama is a great example. Obama was a great politician when he was campaigning. Mm-hmm. He pulled in more of the activist, right, so he was able to do this. And then people got surprised when he was president. They were like, all these things he said, now he's in the middle. No, he just, like, governs. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to do when you're right. governing. Right. And so I think people are surprised at that. So what I want you to do is talk about your protest because as a form of activism.
0: Well, I think that's just, like, there's a contrast between the way you and I go about our political activity mm-hmm. um, and our involvement in politics. Like, I am also interested in policy, but I'm not in a position where I can be sort of behind the scenes making systems work. Um, And I am sort of more inclined to go to a protest or um, participate in a public event that brings voice to an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, So a couple weeks ago, at the U of M campus, there was a guy coming to speak named Milo Yiannopoulos, who is also a podcaster. Um, and he says a lot of really disparaging things about all sorts of marginalized people. Um, but one of the biggest things he's known for is his, um, he's not a men's rights activist. He's just like an anti-feminist activist. Oh, um, interesting. So he just basically is, you know, says really horrible things about feminists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, says rape culture is a myth and that um, basically feminists are just making up sexism. Um, but it really is he's like... He's mansplaining feminism? He's mansplaining Feminist
1: and, experience.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and his whole thing is like, because he's gay, like, he's also an oppressed person, so he can't be called out on being anti-feminist or something. And he also like consistently claims that no real live feminists are ever willing to debate him because they know that he'll win, which is ridiculous. Because I've never even like heard of a feminist that said no, I don't want to debate you. (laughs) Um, And so this. Well, it could be. I just don't even want to bother. (coughs) Why bother? And that's the whole thing. Like if you if somebody says, like, let's have a debate. And it's kind of, like, similar to Donald Trump. Like, if Donald Trump says he wins, you can't argue with him that he Mm -hmm. didn't win. Mm -hmm. Because that's just what he believes. And that's kind of what this guy is, too. It's like, I'm the winner. You can't do anything about it. Like, what do you do? It's not like there's a scoreboard. Yeah. So, um, anyways, this organization at the U, like, invited him to come have an event. And before they, like, when they made their event page on Facebook, it was like, No feminist on the U of M campus was willing to debate him. So instead we got this other anti-feminist person to come just have a talk with him on a stage. And it was just like, okay, that's complete bullshit. Like I looked around and they couldn't, they like hadn't asked anybody for Mm -hmm. one thing. Um, I certainly would have been more than willing to go debate (laughs) him. But they didn't ask me. (laughs) Uh, Every sentence you would, end know. Go check out HBIT. And I would have been, been horrified of like, what is going on? Why do I have to respond? Yeah. <laughs> Why are these people tweeting me? <laughs> uh, yeah, he has a huge Twitter fan army and um, he's huge. And, anyways, so I organized a protest alongside Students for a Democratic Society at their Democratic Students on the U campus or whatever. Um, And there was a protest outside of his thing at the Humphrey. um, And he basically said, like, we were impeding his right to free speech. And we were just saying, we're letting you speak, but you're speaking hate speech, so we also have a right to speak and protest your hate speech. yeah. Um, But, yeah, so I did a protest. It was fun. The news came. And interestingly, side note – NPR News did a piece on it, yeah, um, because the president of the U, Eric Kaler, later on said, you know, something about how he sort of disapproved of this protesting of free speech, Mm -hmm. or he sort of was on the same page as the protest was infringing on someone's right to free speech or whatever. So NPR picked it up. And they interviewed three people at the protest, and all of them were men. <laughs> and I was just like, "OMG, this is totally like, could could somebody make this point for me better right now?" <laughs> so yeah. Anyways, I'm into protesting. I like to go to them. I like I have ten bullhorns in my office. They're like my favorite thing. <laughs> and uh, you know. Some people are active in different ways. That's all. Yeah.
1: And I like to find articles and I like to share them with people. And right. I like to, oh, but behind the scenes, if somebody is saying stuff that I know is like not right, I, am I, have I ever not shut somebody down or tried to, Mm-mm. yeah, I've never not done that. I think that's the other thing too. If you're, if I'm talking one or one or in a small group, I'm definitely not going to hold back. It's just that let's get to this place where, I don't know. All right. Are we ready?
0: Oh, yeah. I think Julie's on the phone.
1: (laughs) Hi. Hey, Julie. Hi. (laughs) Did you just hear us ramble for 10 minutes?
3: Oh, that was terrific. You know, I'm a huge, huge fan of the show, so I was going (laughs) to listen to it anyway. It's really exciting to be able to hear it live.
0: Oh, you're so sweet. We're huge, huge fans of Julie Blaha. We are. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs)
2: All right.
1: Well, I had to thank Julie, first of all, because I, like, very last minute... I was texting Trisha this couple of days ago. I'm like, "Oh my god, why haven't we asked Julie to be on the podcast yet?" So, thank you for short notice. Yeah, totally.
0: And are you like in DC right now?
3: Yes, I, I have some meetings with the American Federation of Teachers this weekend, and so I came out early to uh, play tourist a couple of days and uh, and hang out here. So it's uh, so yeah, the, it, the, the weather's beautiful, but you don't need to know about that. I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to rub that in.
0: It was so cold. We kind of do want to know. It about was it. really cold and windy here today, so I'm glad you're not. I'm glad you got to miss out on it.
3: Yes.
1: All right, Julie. Um, can you let us know and the listeners know a little bit about your background?
3: Sure, sure. Uh, right now, I'm between. Um, I'm between titles, uh, and so it's kind of an interesting time to talk about. You know, to be on the show right now. Um, but uh, right now, I teach sixth uh, grade math and science. In the Hennepin District, um, I, I started in politics when I was, like, 14. Wow. Uh, I, I went to uh, – I got a job doing telemarketing uh, for the DFL. I got to call people at dinner time and ask them for money. And I thought – I'm sorry, no, I surveyed them. And uh, since I was 14, that was amazing. I thought, this is great work. Mm-hmm. This is fun. This is exciting. I didn't know any better, so uh, <laughs> I got the probably the worst job out of the way. <laughs> <by> the way <laughs> nice. Politics. Uh, And then uh, I went on, I was, um, I'm a past president of the National Organization for Women of Minnesota, spent a year uh, in that role uh, during the uh, Monica Lewinsky uh, 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 years. Oh, that that must have been really interesting. The very first thing I got to talk about uh, in the media was Paula Jones and Bill Clinton? That was a Whoa. fascinating way to start. Yeah, a, a public uh, public role. Uh, and after that, then I you know went into teaching uh, and then started doing union work right away on the kind of the political side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I served for four years as uh, president of Anoka Hennepin Education, Minnesota, during a time when they were working through issues around um, bullying of LGBT students.
2: Oh. And that's,
3: Probably where uh, that was uh, probably the the biggest thing that most people had heard about that mm-hmm. happened well, uh, you, during that, that time.
0: That was so. Did you have? Were is Inoka High School in that district? Yeah,
3: no. Yeah, that's that, and it's my high school. Mm-hmm. I graduated from that high school. It's it's this kind of fascinating uh, school. We had this the largest. It was kind of the center of the largest um, uh, bullying uh, lawsuit yep. in U.S. history. It also is home to. Um, uh, Garrison Keillor <laughs> graduated from Anoka Senior High, oh, but then yeah. so did Gretchen Carlson, so and, and Michelle Bachman. So yeah. it's just a really odd place yeah. uh, to live. Wow, and uh, and so currently, you know, so uh, you know, I, I did a couple terms there. Uh, now I still do uh, union work on boards and and things like that. But it's kind of interesting to be, um, you know, have a leadership position and then then not have it, uh-huh. and still work to. Um, and then and still work to, to, to still get things done uh, after you've had the big title. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of a fascinating time for me right now to think about, you know, am I too wedded to my title? Am I too, uh, you know, what really constitutes influence and, and, and opportunity for organizing? And, or is it just the title or, you know, what do you do after the title? Mm.
0: So can we ask, like, what you're kind of looking forward to doing?
3: I don't know yet. See, that's the thing. I'm not entirely sure. I'm kind of open right now. I love teaching. I just, I really, really love it. So it was great to have been in a leadership position and then go back and live with all the decisions that you were part of.
2: Mm. And
3: I think if any leader has a chance to do that, you know, go, you know, make make a bunch of policy, you know, put together contracts, uh, you know, do that work, and then go back and live with it on the ground, you know, right in the front lines, rank and file kind of a thing. Yeah, it, it really, it really puts a perspective on. You know, I'm really glad we worked hard on this one part of QComp and, and this other thing I thought was a big deal. Oh, that didn't turn out to do anything. <laughs> no one cares about that. You know, it was, it was really it was kind of it was humbling and it's just really kind of illuminating yeah, to, and to, to go back and, and get that, get, go back with a new perspective.
0: And I would imagine it's just really rewarding to experience the, that you actually created change in that sphere.
3: Oh, yeah, that, that's been good. That, you know, it was, it was a difficult time, but it, it is good to finally see some progress. I think that, that's the real reason I think I have to do this work. I think mm-hmm. if you're teaching and you see all the challenges that you're facing, if you don't take action, you're going to fall to despair pretty quickly. Right. I think you have to. You know, that idea that action is the antidote to despair. If you don't take action, you, you, you don't see the progress, and, and I think you give up and you leave the profession. And we're having a lot of problems with that in mm-hmm. teaching, yes. where people are, are leaving the profession. And so I think that being active – and seeing that you can make change and we can make things better, I think that's one of the ways we can keep people in the profession and just and improve the improve education in general too.
1: You know, it, it seems like, and we were just talking about trying to figure out being an activist or governing. It mm-hmm. seems like you're going kind of going back and forth in those different roles, and it's really, it's I I, I
3: mean, yeah, it's. You,
1: yeah, I don't know. Talk about that, I guess. <laughs> I'm just oh, having that, this that was aha great, moment. I was
3: too. To that. that was great. That yeah. was this great idea that, um, you know, and I don't think it's one or the other. You know, if you're, and yeah. especially if you're in the leadership position, yeah. then, you have to, then you have to decide okay, when do we do policy? When do we uh, collaborate? And when do we, uh, and then when do we uh, protest? You know, and, and especially when you're putting together contracts and union work,
2: right. you
3: have to both, um, you know, take strong positions and you have to maintain these relationships because you can you can protest, you can go on strike, you can do all that, but at the end of the day, you have to come to a contract. You mm-hmm. have to come to an agreement. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one difference um, that, I, that I actually – why I love union work is because you you can't live all, only in the activist uh, – kind of in a protest world, I should say, not just activist, but in a protest world, and you can't just live in a policy world. You have to be able to go between the two
2: mm-hmm.
3: and, and use them when they make sense. Right. You know, teachers are, are generally – not people who like to go out and protest. You right. know, if we were into that, we would have, uh, you know, we would, I might have chosen other kinds of fields. Um, we're often they're kind of a quiet group, kind of wanted to stay in, and they focused on their students. So when a teacher does take that step and protest, it has huge power, because everyone oh, yeah. knows this is hard yeah. for them. This is not the way they normally uh, operate. So it has this incredible impact. And I right. think there's a, there's, what's great about that balance is that protests can have even a bigger impact because it's something that they know is a real sacrifice and a real effort
2: mm-hmm. to do.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you can, uh, you know, leverage that then, but when you go into to negotiate, okay, people take you more seriously, you get to raise that voice to the place where teachers um, get on evil, you know, even footing with, with people some, with more power. Right. And, and so that's, that's a great opportunity, but it's fun to be able to go back and forth between the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. So to be honest, I I actually don't enjoy protesting. I, I I don't like. Okay, I, I I've held that bullhorn and I've said stuff through it, but I I don't I don't cheer well. I, just, I can't do it. I like, mean, it, oh, yay! I just I look stupid. I don't know even I could carry a sign. I'll show up. I'll show I'd show up at all of them, but I, I am really hoping that no one makes me do a chant because yeah. I'm just bad at it. It can it, feel super awkward.
1: I love. Yeah. i I'm the biggest. Uh, pro, I pro or uh, protect. I, I protect, if anybody's going to protest, I am totally about stopping traffic. Like, I'm going to be <laughs> yeah. the one who say, say no, absolutely. Putting up the barricade? No, but no, I want, like, if that's what they need to do because they need to get attention, I'm the first one to tell people who are complaining about it, no, absolutely, that was a brilliant maneuver. Mm-hmm. Like, that's great. Mm-hmm. So I will protect the right to protest Getting me out there is a but I but also, like, I think activists and people who are protesting got to remember that just because <laughs> your friends aren't necessarily showing up, let's just remember that we live in a very active activist mm-hmm. city. There's a lot of and ask, so there's right. And so there's, there's—there's got to be some sort of a balance, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't I think know.
3: you have to find a way to meet— Meet your meet your people where they are, yeah. and if you've got to have this wide range of activities, yeah. and I kind of will grid cool. out an activity where it will be a, a grid that has two axes. I'm a math teacher, you know, I had to. Get a I was like, what? Uh, <laughs> but, and one axis is time, how much time you have, and the other axis is assertiveness. Yep. You know, if you don't have a lot of time and you're not particularly assertive, you can come in stuff envelopes for a bit and go. Mm, yeah. If you're very active and very assertive, you got a lot of time and very assertive, well, then you can take a leadership position maybe. Yeah.
2: Um, you, you know, no it.
3: time, very, yeah. very assertive, then you're going to, you know, we'll help you write a letter to the editor that goes in because uh-huh. your name will be on it. That's real assertive, but it doesn't take much time. That's genius. Um, so I think that you've got – everybody needs to have that and, and, and kind of meet people where they are. Maybe move them along so they can move toward that leadership thing. But you've got to, if you only have high assertive, high time activities, you're not going to have anybody involved. Yeah. If it's, you know, you've got to build a, have a diverse group of, act, of, of, of engagement. Yeah. And I think that be, owning that and just being ready for those of us who, I'll, I'll, I'll go buy the bullhorn. I can buy the bullhorn. I'll do <laughs> the expense report. That'll be great. <laughs> but, but, but then you need to hold it. You can talk to it. Yeah. That would be great.
1: So, when you've been in leadership positions um, as a woman, have you had what are the rewards that have come out of that? What are the struggles that you've had in your experience, without naming names, like Marsha did one time? Really about How about idea. Rudy? Remember? Yes. I'll
3: tell you, I've, I've gone from a place where people literally patted me on the head, which uh, you know, and in a progressive event, it's just been shocking. I've had somebody say, "Well, you know, we've had." Probably too many. You know, we've had a lot of women. You know, I was running for a a leadership position, and uh, the idea was well, we still have to have balance between men and women. And we've literally had exactly one woman in a leadership position oh. in over 100 years. Oh, my God! And, and if I had been thinking faster, I would have said, I agree with you. You had the first 113. We'll take the next 112. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Balance. I'm with you. Thank you. I'm glad Genius. to have your support. I never did get that vote. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, sometimes it's really blatant like that. And there's something I love about, you know, working in labor is that it's generally pretty, it's really pretty open. Mm. You know, if you're going to have someone have that issue, they're right on, right, it's right out there. They're going to say it. And you get to deal with it. I think where it's been difficult was when I was in the corporate world Mm. uh, and I was in sales for a while uh, and everyone knew all the right words. Everyone was sweet about it, but it was they actually had the power to make it to make the sexism happen and and really affect you. That was tougher. Uh, I'll take it laid out on the table so we can just deal with it any day over people with power saying all the pretty words and then sticking it to you on the other end. Right. so so i so I so th- those situations get to really talk about it. those have been great uh on there uh, but I, I think as a, as a woman i I notice uh, there there's a double standard when uh i will be I, I would make a small uh, uh, grammatical error remember once making a small grammatical error and it was it blew up and people tried to put it they put it on our Facebook page oh Noka Hennepin Lord. president maybe an idiot, oh and they my were God. trying to uh, this was Democrats exposed at the time tried to blow it up. Ugh. Yet I uh, will see a man make a, just a horribly written piece, and they mm-hmm. say, "Oh, it's folksy." Yeah,
2: you know, <laughs> it's folksy, it, it, it's yeah. Just, and that's frustrating. Oh, that it just that, shows that how I, real it uh, is. And I call
3: that out, saying, "Yeah, you, you wouldn't let, never let me get away with this. Don't yeah. let him get away with it."
2: Yeah, and
3: and yeah. I see that that huge double standard for just work quality between men and women, uh, and uh, and and then just how often we call out mistakes. Yeah, and so I think women sometimes then over overcompensate. And have to feel like i got to look smart, I spend all my time trying to be smart and be organized and be prepared, that then we overcompensate there and we lose connection with yeah. people. And we don't, we, we're not vulnerable and we don't, um, we, we don't, uh, we're not personable in, in a way that can bring people in. You're so talking about Hillary. Balance.
1: You're talking about Hillary, right? Like, this is like you the know, Hillary I, I, problem.
3: I went, I, about, mid-sent- about mid-sentence, yeah. I realized I was. But yeah. yeah. I, I totally understand that. I, I feel that. I, I, I do, I do. When I'm having my my most um, self-conscious days, I'm mm-hmm. all wonky and cold, and, yeah. and I miss out.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: I feel like when people think that she's coming across not trustworthy. Cold. It's, yeah, I think it's because she's like, she's very analytical, and she's, like, thinking about, like, what mm-hmm. should I say next? Because we're constantly having to prove to be the smartest, best person in the room. Yeah. Where you have somebody like Donald Trump is like, I can say whatever I want.
0: And, and nobody is paying attention to And I get to, to be
1: up on the stage because yeah. I get to say whatever I want. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's oh, no exactly. option. Yeah.
3: And that's so frustrating. And, and that was, but, but at the same time, if you're always in that. I can't make a mistake mode.
2: Yeah. And yeah. I think
3: then then we are that way with each other. When I was yeah. a new president, I remember, you know, people talking, especially as women, you know, we're talking about our big stuff, but I was lucky enough that then there was a place where we could privately get together and share our mistakes. So mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was doing a bad job. Right. You know, you just need to, you know, we can all talk big, you know, and, 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 <laughs> and show uh, the the great things we're doing publicly, but there's got to be a pri- at least a private space where we're honest with each other about things that are difficult
2: yeah.
3: or, uh, women start to feel like they're the only ones that make mistakes and they quit.
2: Yeah. So,
3: so I think we have to have those vulnerable spaces or nobody's going to take these jobs. Nobody's yeah. going to take, they're going to feel like they're too hard to do. And, and they're not, and, and we you can make mistakes and you recover for them. Probably my best time as a president is after our, the first contract I'd uh, been president during the bargaining and, uh, and it was, people hated it. They hated it. Mm. And I just got blasted. I misread the group entirely. I went for a quick settlement over equality and they, they were furious. Luckily, I was with, you know, Mary Catherine Ricker, who was the uh, president of St. Paul, when all the bad mail came in and she talked me down. She kept me from going nuts. I had midnight calls to Denise Specht, our state president, and, and they helped me through that. But I had to sit down and realize our problem was that I misread them because I'd left them out. Um, and to own, to own the fact that it wasn't just the district sticking it to us, which would have yeah. been a very convenient way to go, we looked at ourselves and said, you know what? Um, you know, we believe that our members would have made the same choices had they been in the room for bargaining, but they weren't. And we shouldn't be so arrogant to think that. So mm-hmm. we said, hey, you know, we're going to invite you in. Mm-hmm. So We went to an open bargaining structure where it was anybody could come, mm-hmm. which is part of state law, but we made sure we publicized that so right. our, and made it a space that our member could, members could easily attend. Mm-hmm. And we would have 100 members in the room while we bargained, and it changed everything.
2: Yeah. And
3: it was the best thing to actually sit down and acknowledge, okay, we screwed this up. Mm-hmm. We're going to own it, and mm-hmm. we're going to use that as our platform to move forward. And I think that was – it was important, but it's hard. It's, it's really humbling. And- um, when you know that mistakes have high stakes for women, to own your mistakes so, you so that you can build off of that, is, 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 that's a challenge. right.
1: right. And Hillary, and Hillary, uh, you can see when she is the most liked is when she's most vulnerable, usually, and then people come around to her. It's hard because um, I feel like if you are so vulnerable, you're. I, I get to the point where I'm like apologizing for myself all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like a balance, right? Like yeah. I want to be vulnerable, and I know I'm overcompensating, but then I'm saying sorry all the time.
0: Well, I think that there. I think that this all comes down to sort of like. Finding our authenticity and like accepting where we mess up, but also still striving to do our best, right? Like,
3: right, like, accept- well, owning that mistake and just laying it out, saying, "This is what happened,
0: mm-hmm. and mm-hmm.
3: this was a mistake." Mm-hmm. You don't have to apologize for that because that's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. yeah, you know. I think as a teacher, you know, one of I have one of the signs I have up in my classroom to help my students realize that they have to try difficult things is it says, "You know, I've got all these quotes. I got a, I've got like." A Beyonce quote, and I've got, um, you know, Harry Tubman, I've got some great quotes wow. all around there. And then I have mine that says, If you don't make mistakes, I'm out of a job. You know, you, you don't learn if you don't make mistakes, and right. so we have to be able to own them and lay them on the table, or we'll repeat them, and uh, and nothing creative happens. So the way and often men will just say they'll name their mistakes, like, Yeah, that's what happened, that doesn't make right. me bad, that just happened, and and they don't, they don't connect to that mistake, they don't dwell take on it that for the as next a personal connection.
0: 37 years. <laughs> What's that? I said they don't dwell on it for the next thirty-seven years.
3: I, I, know, I know. And so, to be fair, I—I I, I, and I, I totally—I I ruminate constantly over every mistake I've uh-huh. made. I, oh, after this interview, I'll talk. Think about every. Bad grammar piece I had. Oh my god! Um, but, I won't even uh,
1: listen to our podcast. <laughs> it's that bad.
3: <laughs> um, um, but I'll tell you, when I started to fake it, like I yeah. could own that, yeah. then it, things got so much better. I we did such better work. I mean, I was lying. I mean, I was just basically saying we're going to put it out there. Like I can just own this, and I cannot take it seriously. You know, personally. And that kind of fake it till you make it approach. I just started pretending until I could do it. And now I can do it a lot better. You can do it so
1: well. Um, Julie, (laughs) do you have like two minutes? Uh, So uh, we, Trish and I have been spending a lot of time uh, talking about the caucus system. Mm -hmm. And since you're a parliamentarian, and um, can you give us a little bit of uh, update about maybe your, I mean, so there's some changes. Proposed at the state legislature for caucuses. Have you heard this, or do you know? You
3: know, I, I don't. I don't know the details of the bill, but as, as I, if I'm not mistaken, what they want to do is or one one idea. The idea I would like to see yeah. would be uh, just the idea that we handle um, presidential caucuses like we handle other caucuses only earlier. I mean, not, I'm sorry, other primaries only earlier, okay. and do it as a as a primary just earlier. Because right now we have the caucus system where. You, um, for federal and lower races, so uh, U.S. Senate and lower, we come together as a party and we decide, okay, this, this is our candidate. I'm going to put them out there and see if we can make the case to other Democrats. And if that doesn't work, we've got the primary in August, and then they can they can, they can can undo that. It's, I, and I, I like that system. It's still the idea that the party still Get, you know the people who are committed to the party come together and, yeah. and and make a decision, but that a wider audience gets voice in this and right. gets to check you and see if you're right. And I think that if you move the um, the primary for the presidential primary up to that Super Tuesday, still have the caucuses to talk about other leadership things and oh, other I like positions. That. Yeah, uh, yeah. But just bring that just bring that forward.
0: I think we still I think Minnesotans specifically like we love to be engaged in the whole process of electing people. So I think that that would be a big loss for our voters to lose the caucus system completely. So you're saying still keep right. it, but then have a primary. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's what I would like to see. But uh, I want you, to, Amy, to talk well, a little bit about I like your what, experience. Well, I just – I didn't
1: go because the last time – I see, so – I, I like what Julie just said. Uh, to me, that's a cr- compromise. Mm-hmm. I came from North Dakota where it's just a primary. And so when I came, everything is a little bit different in Minnesota from North Dakota. I get we get mm-hmm. a lot less people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the caucus system to me is, seems elitist, it's confusing,
0: and um,
1: it's, it's
0: also really inaccessible. Yeah, a lot of
1: but I'm totally but then after now seeing Donald Trump and what's kind of happening to the Republican Party, um, I do th- understand the party still having some control of who their candidate is. And so I would totally be OK with Julie's suggestion is that you have a caucus system to have the party mm-hmm. involved and then you have a primary to let other
0: you know, I, I think it's so. So I'm going to jump in here and just explain what my understanding is of the bill that's actually at the Minnesota legislature right now, they just heard it today. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that it's It's a plan to change the caucus system, which is run by the two parties, to a closed primary system, which would be run by the state secretary of state.
3: A closed primary, where uh, you'd have to declare a well you have do you, so you'd have to like declare your party? Is that what they uh, mean by closed? No,
0: they mean it by closed it means you would not have to you could self identify for which party, but there wouldn't be a record of who chose oh, yes. okay. which party. Um, and then th- my understanding is that the um, the leaders of both parties did not show up to the hearing today and they are um, they're arguing for an open primary where people would have to declare their party and that would be on public record so um oh that's not good
3: yeah I see. I, I like I, I like what we have now you know you hear people who say you know I, where I work or uh, because of my family I I really can't declare this right I can't be on record on this and and I don't want anybody who is feeling like that we in fact those are voices we need probably more yep. because these are people who need protection right and I like the way our current primary systems work' to just they'll just Move it up. We'll just move part. of We'll just move one part of it up earlier, and I think you you get the most involvement. And besides, you have it open primary. You don't have it open like that. It doesn't mean anyone's gonna be necessarily more honest. It just means it you just feel like uh, yeah. You feel really on a exposed. List. I don't think that's the yeah. right choice.
0: No, I don't think that's the right choice for any sort of voting. Like I think that voting should be confidential in all. You know, everybody has the right to cast their vote without being afraid of what the consequences in their personal life is going to be
3: right unless you're going to choose to represent other people and then i think your vote has to be open mm-hmm. uh you know people will talk about that we go higher conventions in the party in and, in and, and the, and the right. democratic side they have to sign ballots and people will say oh i should have a private vote it's like well you are representing yeah. other people People elected you to be here That's, then i think you got to be accountable and, and, and own your vote
0: totally totally agree with that um so I also wanted, while we're talking about caucuses, I just wanted to talk about you know how, how inaccessible it was for so many people this year because of the huge turnout. Um, I live in North Minneapolis, and there were a lot of people who literally couldn't get to our polling place for the caucuses who, didn't, who were working, so they couldn't get there in the two-hour period. Um, there were people who were in wheelchairs, And access was extremely limited or complicated or couldn't, you know, deal with it to get in line to actually do the caucus. Um, So I think, like, regardless of what we, I, I mean, I just think it's really clear that the accessibility is an issue that regardless of what, you know, the legislature or the parties decide to do, this is something that needs to be fixed if everybody's going to have an equal voice.
3: Well, I think the depth of volunteer that you need to be able to do this, this is somebody who runs conventions. Mm-hmm. You know, you're asking people to run about 4,000 conventions across the state all on the same night. Yeah. We can struggle to find people to run about 100 or so that we have at the next level up. It, right. it, it's a difficult, it's a difficult to run the process well enough that people can understand it. And it's it's just that's not a system. Uh, it's effectively like a small, tiny convention system. Right. Mm-hmm. Those aren't. That's complicated. That takes a ton of work. Mm-hmm. And no matter how hard you prepare,
2: mm-hmm.
3: you've got every, every volunteer that gets involved. Somebody yells at them that night. And yeah. so you have our volunteers, some of our most dedicated people you know, feeling really, they feel bad. They feel like they did a bad job. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I know mean, afterwards it's... I had someone yell at me too because they didn't know their precinct and it took me three minutes to find it. And But it's, it's just people are, here are these people who really put a ton of effort into it and we then spend the next month trashing everything they did. Yeah. And I and I think that that's something where we'll drive out some of our more senior uh, and more active, or I shouldn't say not the, our, our most active and maybe our longest acting um, volunteers because we kind of trash them for weeks after this happens. In a situation where it's like, wow, you, you would have had to put 40, 50 hours of planning into it. You would right. have had about 10 people per se- precinct putting about 40 hours into it to do it right. Right. People just don't have that time. And that's just not, I don't think that's a feasible system we gotta, uh, to do all in one night.
1: You're just making me think how I'm panicked now. We got to address this somehow because you're right. Uh, the volunteers, volunteers in minnesota are seniors Mm -hmm. (laughs) huge portion of them totally and um yeah i don't know how the secretary of state office but then that's so
0: so. and they came out with uh the secretary of state did an initial numbers count to see how much it would cost to switch the caucus um from party run to state run Mm -hmm. um and the 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 you know, preliminary numbers is 4 to $6 million um, to do a statewide primary se- that was run by the state instead of the... You know,
3: you're the first people I've heard that have discussed this on the news so far. I'll couch <laughs> it, you know, news. Uh, the first people that mentioned cost. I haven't heard everybody... People are not talking about cost well, on this. and I don't... You know, in a state context, that's not a huge cost in, in a statewide context.
0: No, it's not. Um, now,
3: you... Yeah,
0: but I, we're also looking at you know Ian, our producer just sent us a note that says, "Should we start paying people to help us make these tiny conventions, if you will, uh, more accessible and more?" It's hard when you're it's partisan. God, right. that's gonna. <laughs> right, it's really hard when it's partisan. But if it was state run, perhaps we could. Yeah, I don't know. I don't well, know. I don't,
3: you know, I think that would be I think that if we're going to do a state run thing, I think then you do really need to do the voting, which, you know, and election judges are paid. Not a lot. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, for that. And that's where that cost, you know, some sort of that cost comes in. I think that we can do it with volunteers. But if the stakes are lower. If it's a lower-stakes situation, people can handle a mistake or two at these situations. But in a high-stakes situation, then you just need better organization. And this is, you know, like when we're talking about endorsing conventions, that's higher stakes. You need people who have more expertise. Right, But, you know, if you keep the stakes reasonable, then, then this can be a great first volunteer experience. Mm-hmm. I love it when a high school student comes in and you say, hey, you want to run this caucus? You hand them the chill and they run it. I love mm-hmm. that, it's too. Wonderful.
0: I love that, too. <laughs> you know, and so
3: I think if we just – it's kind of like in, in education, if the stakes are too high on testing, people do crazy things with the test. Mm-hmm. If we keep the stakes reasonable on a precinct caucus, then a volunteer can do it fine. Take the high stakes part and put that into a primary system – and then make the rest low enough stakes that it can be a great introductory activity for someone in in party politics.
1: Well, Julie, you sold me. I'm I I was a, not a fan of caucuses, but I think you've got the solution. I really like <laughs> your plan. So
3: why, you know, this is great. You, this is why I'm hoping your show goes daily. We it? to figure everything out. Oh, OMG. Oh, All right. So well,
1: we'll let you go. Thank you so much, Julie. Yeah, it was
3: really I'm so lovely. I'm glad I could be on you. This is going to be major bragging rights for me. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, we hope
0: you'll share the link when we post it, so we get like more than 20 listens. I hope you still be my Facebook <laughs> friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, when well, you get you again. when you get back to the cities, we'll have to take you out for a drink. Yes.
3: Yes, let's do that, and we'll just uh, who knows what else we'll solve then.
0: <laughs> All of Minnesota's problems. All right. Have a great trip, Julie.
2: Thank you. i uh, that
1: I can't believe we almost forgot to do that song again. I know.
0: <laughs> I can't believe, yeah. Me and Selena. She's. <laughs> She's my other BFF. Okay, so before we sign off, we have one last thing to share with you guys. Uh, If you work in an office, we know you're familiar with what we like to call office lingo. Uh, Well, we went ahead and made an office lingo bingo card for you and posted it over on the blog. So what we want you to do is head over to www.hbitpodcast.com and print it off. We will then buy a drink and do a mini episode with the first listener who sends us a photo of their winning bingo card. If you're a more we'll still try to figure it out. We will come to you. <laughs> uh, by the way, you can get in touch with us and send us that picture of your office lingo bingo card, cute outfits, or your favorite cocktail on a ton of social media platforms. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HBITpodcast. Send us an email at hbitpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We also are on Snapchat, so hit us up on there. I did not know we're on Snapchat. I read
1: that I was like, really?
0: Uh, yeah, I registered it right away, but we've only done like one snap. But we need some people to be snapping with, so mm. okay. let's start it. Uh, one last thing. If you enjoyed this episode of Head Bitchin' Training, it would mean a lot to us if you'd go leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, don't do anything we wouldn't do.